be Luke 24. Go ahead and find your way over to Luke 24. Um, so, last week, preached the whole sermon referring to the town that Jesus and these, these disciples were on their way to as Emmaus. How many of you knew that's not how it's pronounced? Right? You're all this very close, and nobody managed to just shout on up here, hey, you're saying it wrong. I, I don't know what happened. I tried to figure it out. Um, I think I know the pronunciation of it. I don't know if I mix it up with Damascus, maybe, or, or if it's just my Texas roots that I can't talk, like uh, George W. back in the day couldn't talk, uh, you know, with pronouncing of the words and stuff. Uh, so anyway, make your way over to 24, Luke 24 this morning, and remember these, these two disciples, one of them we know by name, Cleopas, probably not how it's pronounced, someone will correct me later, uh, and an unknown man are traveling, and they're on their way to Emmaus, right? Or Emmaus, I've heard it both ways. Anyway, they're, they're traveling to Jerusalem, and uh, are from Jerusalem, and they are hugely discouraged at this point in their life. Uh, they're hugely discouraged for good reason, right? Because they had all this hope in this man, in, in Jesus, who was to be the redeemer of Israel, and, and then he has, he has crucified, he is killed, he's buried into the ground a few days earlier, right? And, and on this day, as it, as it begins, right, uh, as this very day had begun, there were some women, some friends, the disciples of Jesus, who, who came back from the tomb claiming it was empty, claiming that an angel had spoken to them and told them that Jesus was risen and alive, and yet they hadn't seen Jesus. They don't know this. They don't believe this. And it all sounds so incredibly crazy to them that they just, they don't believe it. And so they're sad and they're hopeless. However, on that walk, Jesus sidles up next to him, right? And he's, he's talking to him. He joins them. Only God does something miraculous and prevents them from knowing that it's Jesus. And so they just think it's some guy walking next to him. Uh, and they begin to pour out their hearts to the Lord as he asks questions. And, and he encourages them and he shows them that the promised Messiah was, was always supposed to, to live and, and suffer and die in the way that Jesus does. Uh, right? For the forgiveness of, of those people he, he will redeem. And he teaches them to, to all the scripture, right? To, to shape their theology according to these scriptures, all the scriptures. And he shows them, look how these point to me, to me, over and over again. And so that's where we left off. And, and just to remember, it's the same day. It's the day of Jesus' resurrection. It's, it's late in the day. That's where we're going. It's, the walk is still going on where we're going to pick up here in Luke 20, 24, 28. Uh, so that's, that's the situation. Let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke, broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose in that same hour, that same hour, and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen, he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, which we have just read. This is your revelation for your people. 
Holy Spirit, give us hearts to receive this as your word. Give me joy in the proclamation of your word this morning. Give us minds which are enlightened and and ready to consider your word and understand your word and believe your word this morning. It's in Jesus' glorious name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's finish this Emmaus journey, right? As they approach the village, it appears that these disciples... Uh, to these disciples, that Jesus is just going to keep going, right? It says he pretended. I don't know that Jesus is trying to psych the mountain anyway, so much as it seems like he's going forward. Uh, It's clear these two have taken so much joy in the company of Jesus that they want it to continue on, and so they make this incredibly strong plea for him to accept their invitation of hospitality. Come, stay with us, right? They make the argument. After all, it's going to be dark soon, and the whole point there is it's really dangerous to travel at dark at this time. It's not like today where you got cars and roads and that kind of thing it's you know you just didn't travel at night and and we see them right so they make that invitation stay with us and there we also see the Lord is pleased very pleased with their invitation he's more than willing to to stay with them to draw near to these two disciples even in this this time and this is important even in this time when uh, you know these are weak disciples at this moment they're filled with all sorts of doubts and concerns and they're, they're just not doing well and and here is Jesus spending time with them now already something quite profound is here in the past that you, you and I today, we, we can't invite Jesus to physically eat at our table. I mean, I guess we could invite him. We, we wouldn't expect him to show up physically in flesh and sit down at your table at home, right, to, to, to stay there or, or to stay the night. But in a very real sense, spiritually speaking, we can invite Jesus to stay with us. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we can experience the, the presence of Christ. You see, too often, if you're like me, most mornings you, you look at the clock and, and you begin to kind of rush through your, your time in the scriptures, your time meeting with God. Maybe you begin to read quicker or um, you, you do this real short prayer time. And you're like, whatever, you know, pray for your day and, and go on because you think there's so much that I have to get to right now. There's just not time. And the day gets going. And, and, and again, you're unlikely to return to this time of, of just sitting down and listening to God in his word and sitting down and speaking with God in prayer. And to our own detriment, we just kind of up and go. And that's the, 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 the way we do our culture, rushing to the next thing. Now, I, I have no intention <clears throat> this morning of guilting you into some sort of go have your quiet time, you know, or God won't love you kind of thing. Don't hear that at all. There's no guilt here. But I, I want you to know that, that your Lord loves it when his disciples invite him to spend time together with you. He, he loves to speak to you through the Holy Spirit, he, or Holy Scriptures, rather. He loves to listen to you in prayer. Those are the ways we converse with God. We listen through the Scriptures and we speak in prayer, right? In Revelation 3.20, Jesus is speaking, and, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and, and he with me. We, we, we see this many places in the Scripture, the desire of, of the Lord to be with his people. No matter how busy we are, you and I need the nourishment of time spent with the Lord. We need that. Church, we need to learn to to linger with the Lord in prayer. We need to learn to to read Scripture, not just to read it though, right? To meditate upon it, to really let it sink into with a slowness that we can really just meditate on the Scripture. And again, not out of guilt, right? Because we should, but simply because this is an extraordinary privilege that you have as a disciple of Christ, as someone who is united through Christ by faith, as disciples, 
And, and because deep down you know it is good, you know it is what you need more of in your life. You know that. And so I want you to know that your Savior is always willing to listen to your prayers. He is willing to remain with us as long as we will do so. And so maybe we need to wake earlier. Maybe we need to take a mid-morning lunchtime break if the morning does not work. I don't know when it works for your life. I won't even begin to say there's one time is better than another. But I will say it's important that you figure out a time to meet with the Lord in his word and prayer. So do figure out a time in your life you can do that. The, the other piece of this invitation to stay is it's just this general mindset of hospitality these two disciples have. It's more common in their culture, right? It's, it's really very countercultural for us to be hospitable, less so in the church, praise the Lord, but in, in the general population. Here in the 21st century United States, we, we kind of love our privacy, right? That's why the six-foot privacy fence exists that you can put around your yard so no one can see, I don't know, what your dog's doing in the backyard. You, you probably, right, if you're like us, you probably have some neighbor in your neighborhood that you don't even know what she looks like. You know what her car looks like, pulls into the garage, gets out, you have no idea what the person looks like, right? Um, growing up, my family, uh, apart from the blood relatives that were required to come over on, on holidays, right, we never invited anyone over to our house for a meal. And it was perfectly normal. No one else in our neighborhood did it either, right? Inviting people into your messy home is kind of a strange thing, a weird experience. Sometimes we'll invite people that have no church experience over a few times, and and you can tell it's kind of this weird thing that you're being invited into their home for a meal. That's just weird. Now, hospitality is strange, but it's also one of the ways that we as Christians stand out in a culture of so much privacy, so much of just we come home, we close our doors, and this is where we're going to be for now. We need to lean into that, to do it more. And, and, and you don't have to agree with people politically or about anything else to show them hospitality. You don't even have to like someone to show them hospitality. To invite them over doesn't say, you know what, I agree with everything you believe in this world. So, you know, let us learn to do that. And one of the things you might find is you like people a lot better than you might have imagined you did. And, and anyway, let me encourage all y'all to invite people into your homes for a meal, for drink, for dessert, for whatever. Um, even people who are in different generations, different stages of life, uh, even incredibly weird people you know are weird, right? Even Stucky, invite Stucky over. And, and sometimes you're going to have this experience and think, you know, that was, that was awkward. Uh, and so let me tell you that up front. It's going to be awkward sometimes. You know, Brian said this would be great, and it was, and this is weird. Uh, sometimes it's going to be that way, but other times you're going to be blessed and more than you ever know, right, you're ever going to know it is a huge blessing to the people that you welcome into your home. It is, it is the way that, that we are taught as Christians to, to live our lives in the Scripture. And so maybe you just begin, even before you decide to do it, maybe you just begin by, by meditating on a passage like Romans fifteen seven, where the Apostle Paul is encouraging Christians and he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Okay, so that feels like a lot of application real quick. Um, let's, let's look at the passage, verse, verse 30 here. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says, when he was at table. When he was at table. Does that sound weird to any of you? Does it feel like there's a word missing? When he was at the table? Uh, maybe make more sense? At least it wants to make sense there. I can remember... Uh, Ten years ago, roughly ten years ago, we were living in Kansas City, and we got invited over to 
the Anderson's house, Laura Anderson, his student here. Um, anyway, she's like, what story is about to come up? Uh, her dad was trying to explain to, to Laura and I, my Laura, uh, that, that uh, he likes to ride bicycles. And the way it came out of her mouth was sim- or his mouth was simply, I ride bike. <laughs> and then he stopped because he knew that didn't sound right. And we're like, oh, I ride bike too. Uh, and it became this big thing in our, our life. Like this is, you know, more than 10 years later. And Laura and I still use this phrase all the time. Like, what are you doing today? I ride bike. And it's just the way we, we talk about it now. Uh, anyway, the, the word the was missing from Derek Anderson, her dad's, you know, s- statement there for sure. But it's not missing here when Jesus speaks it. It's, you know, when he's saying at table, it's kind of like we use the word at dinner. It's this all-encompassing, the, the whole affair. Uh, it's the whole meal. And, and so in this situation, whoever's house it is, right, uh, most of the time serves as the host of the meal, They are the one who would say the blessing, say the prayer. They are the ones who would break the bread and kind of lead lead through this this meal. What's interesting here is here is Jesus, who they've just met a couple hours earlier, less than that probably, um, and and these two must have asked him that he would be the host of the meal. It's a very honorable thing that they're doing to show Jesus there. They recognize something, even though they just think he's some guy on the road, they, they recognize something in the way that he was teaching them, the way he's been leading them. And it's, it's quite fitting that they do so. For as uh, Philip Ryken points out, he says, Jesus Christ should be the Lord of every believer's dinner table, of every believer's bedroom and living room, every believer's classroom and place of business. At every place in life, we are to ask Jesus to take the lead and to give the blessing. That's what we see them do here. And so Jesus is serving as the host, and he says, look at verse 30, he says, we, uh, he, took, he took the bread... And blessed it and bro- broke it and gave it to them. How about that? Does that sound familiar to you? Took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. Um, does it sound like, what does it sound like? You're shaking your head. The Last Supper, right? Or the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, right? Uh, yeah. Just a few days earlier, not with these two disciples, but with the, with the apostles in the upper room, Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper. Luke twenty two nineteen. we read, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. He goes on there, right, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So then, here is Jesus serving, is Jesus, rather, serving the sacrament here? What do you think? You don't know what to think, do you? Um, Now, there is some historical disagreement on this. Uh, among others, St. Augustine, or as we call him, just Augustine, uh, believed this was the sacrament because of the wording here, which makes sense uh, on initial look, right? Except for a couple of things. One, there's no wine mentioned here at all. Never mentions that. Uh, we don't hear Jesus speak the words of institution. There's no, no, this is my body which is given for you. None of that happens here. Also, if you look all the way back to Luke 9.16, you don't need to go, I'll read it to you. At the feeding of 5,000, it's, it's similar, right? And, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Incredibly similar, but that's not the Lord's Supper. Now, it's not a huge deal. I'm not going to fight you over this. Uh, but I don't believe our Lord is serving the sacrament here. Not in any proper understanding of it. And yet these similarities here, I do think, are intentionally uh, supposed to draw us to think about that. To, to think about the sacrament. Which, of course, then points us to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's what the sacrament does, among other things. 
In a very real sense, the sacrament is a meal in which Jesus invites us to fellowship with him, to commune with him, a a meal that we'll continue to partake in until he returns and and we get to see him face to face with our physical eyes and when we get to feast with him in a much bigger, wonderful meal. It's one of the things I most look forward to about dying is it seems that's going to bring me closer to the return of Christ. Maybe before I die, I just have low expectations on that sense. Uh, anyway, so, so the moment that they receive the bread from Jesus, whatever God has done, whatever miraculous thing he's done to keep them from recognizing that he's Jesus is now lifted. It is reversed. It's changed. Their eyes were, are open is what the passage said. Notice that's, that's passive. They don't do anything. God does it. And, and can you imagine this moment that you're, you're sitting here, there's this guy that you kind of met today on the road and taught you some stuff, and suddenly you realize, oh, you're Jesus. You're alive. All the things that would have come to mind at that exact moment. Not just that you were actually Jesus all this time, but suddenly you are alive. You are resurrected. And all that, you know, you turn to the guy next to you and he's alive. It's just the amazement of this. The surprise, the joy, the, the, the bubbling jubilation and relief. The restoration of hope at what they are seeing right before them. And then the bad news. Suddenly Jesus vanishes, right? Just when you thought you saw the weirdest thing you're ever going to see in your life, that the man that's been eating with you is actually Jesus, he vanishes. That's strange. Um, and again, them sitting there, what, what just happened? What, why did Jesus vanish? What was his purpose for this? I don't know. Add that to my list of all the weird questions I want to ask when I get to, to heaven. How did Jesus vanish? What, what's like scientifically going on here? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that one either. We, we don't know what's going on here because it, it, that part hadn't been revealed to us. But it does give us some insight here re- regarding what our resurrected flesh will be like for us as well, right? J.C. J. Ryle explains uh, saying this. He says, Jesus' resurrection body is in some wonderful way different from the common body of man. It was a real material body and a true flesh and blood, but it was a body capable of moving, appearing, and disappearing after a manner that we just cannot explain. And that probably shouldn't be all that shocking to us, can it? That our, our, our bodies will receive a significant upgrade at the resurrection. And in, in John 20, Jesus is, is showing Thomas right, doubting Thomas uh, about his body, and he's showing him, hey, this is, this is real flesh. He even invites Thomas to, to touch his flesh. But also in John 20, Jesus walks through a wall or a door. He walks through something to get into a closed room, right? These two things don't make sense to us scientifically. His, his body is flesh, and yet it is different. And yours and my resurrection body will be flesh because we are body and soul, but our bodies will be different. Our bodies will be better. I don't know all the details of that, but I can't wait um, to be in a new glorified body. Um, So anyway, these two disciples begin to reevaluate their entire day that they've just experienced in light of the fact that, oh, that was Jesus, um, not some stranger teaching us. Their response here is absolutely beautiful, speaking to each other. One of them says, did did not our hearts burn within us while, we talk, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Heartburn, not heartburn, but their hearts burned. Um, the, the way the term heart was often 
use as it's meant here, they're, they're talking about just this, this core of their being that's kind of hard to define, just, just who they are in, in some sense. When, when Jesus taught them the scriptures, they, they didn't just intellectually understand God's word, right? It, it's not just something they could pass a test if you were to examine them on, you know, what is, how does this point to Jesus and, and, and that kind of thing. Rather, rather, something's going on here that they, they believe it. They're changed by it. Their affections are stirred up by it. They're, you know, like Jesus in the tomb, hope was resurrected in their hearts. Listen, Christian theology has always been about the heart. If our hearts are always unaffected by the truth of the scriptures, we're not approaching the scriptures rightly and, and we need to pray earnestly for the Holy Spirit to cause our hearts to burn within us. Now, I'm not saying that you will always be passionately on fire for the Lord. That's not the way things work. Typically, uh, you could be. If, if that's the way your life goes, that you are just passionately on fire for the Lord every moment of your life, what a wonderful gift that will be in your life. What a wonderful gift that is. But more likely, your daily life will, will look a lot more ordinary. A steady faith, a, a simple faith. And yet there will be times in your life when suddenly something you read in the scriptures or have been taught in the scriptures just makes sense to you and renews your faith and it just excites you for lack of a better way of explaining it. I remember in, in high school when the simple gospel that I had heard proclaimed week after week after week as I was showing up to this midweek thing uh, suddenly began to make sense to me. When I truly began to believe that Jesus died for my sin, this crazy story suddenly started to make sense. Like that's okay, that's real. I can see how that is. I believe that. And, and in that sense, my, my heart was set aflame in that moment. I, I felt the same way in college when suddenly the doctrines of grace, the, the sovereignty of God and, and all the rest of it, right, just, just enlarged my vision of, of who God is, my understanding of, of what he has done for me in salvation, the, my understanding of grace because it is just this unmerited grace of God to me in salvation. When I stopped hating Romans 9 and upon reading it again, suddenly it, it gave me relief as I gloriously became aware of God's unconditional and indelible, meaning unremovable love for me. Those are some big ones. It, it happens to a, far, to a lesser degree more regularly where you just love what God is teaching you in his word. You know, you, you read something, you're like, it just sticks with you longer in that day, longer when you just keep thinking about it and excites you, it changes you. So Lewis Allen summarizes the, the story to this point almost poetically. He says the, make sure I pronounce this word right, the Emmaus story ends with Christ disappearing, but his word remains. Jesus makes himself known throughout the scriptures. Do you understand that? Truly understand that? The, the, the primary way in which Jesus reveals himself to us is through the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures, as we hear them proclaimed, as we have them taught to us, as we read them ourselves, right? Like, you know, as, as they're preached to us, like, like question 89 in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which probably should have been in our liturgy today, but I had printed it too early, that happens sometimes. Anyway, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. See, Christian, you need only two things to grow more in love with Jesus today. 
and you already have them both. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Um, the Holy Spirit and the, and the Word of God. God has already given you all you need. There are other things, right? The, the means of grace, prayer and such, but just to think about those two things, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. If, if we have the Scriptures, we can see Jesus just as clearly, and our hearts can burn just as passionately as these two disciples on their way to Emmaus. Um, so we've got a few more verses here today to cover. Look, look at verse 33. Let's go there. Um, these two disciples, they realized that there's the man Jesus, right, and, and then Jesus vanishes, and then that same hour, which again, it's approaching night, because it was already approaching night earlier, uh, and they find this new energy. They decide they are going to travel seven miles back to Jerusalem, uh, which is what? Somewhere in the range of a 10K for runner types. Um, so like Alex could do that, what, 40 minutes probably? Somewhere in that range. The rest of us significantly slower. Uh, even Alex, though, if we put him in, you know, robes and sandals instead of Nikes and shorts, we're looking at a much longer time. More, more likely, it's about a two-hour travel time back there if they're, if they're working their way. And it gets dark, it's going to be anyway. You don't care about those details, do you? It took him a while to get back to Jerusalem. It was some effort. Uh, so they travel this same road, though, and, and, and yet we see this huge difference that Jesus makes, just this presence with Jesus. They, they had traveled away from Jerusalem, dejected, they traveled away hopeless, and now here they are returning to Jerusalem, just rejoicing, overflowing with jubilant hope, with strong faith. They, they went away with terrible news, they're returning with the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is resurrected. And, and I imagine they don't know what everyone else knows, and so they go to where, where the 11 have, have gathered, and that's just a term for the apostles, right? The 12 minus 1, because Judas didn't work out so well. Um, and so he, they go to that room, and there's a bunch of other people there, and I imagine they're going to come to that door and tell them, we must be the first people to know this, besides, you know, that, that know that Jesus resurrected. And the first thing they hear is that those that were already there immediately give these joyful report. It looks a little, it's hard to know who's saying it at first in, in your reading. Anyway, they say, the Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon, right? They are delivering good news to these two disciples who already have the good news. Uh, you know, he's already appeared to Simon, which is Peter. That's what we call him for reasons, because... That's what Jesus calls him. Anyway, uh, Peter's encounter with Jesus is, is not recorded in any of the Gospels, uh, but the Apostle Paul also makes mention of it in 1 Corinthians 15.5. Uh, so these two disciples we've <clears throat> been traveling with, and they share their experience and how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread, and you can imagine all the, the teaching that began to pour out of them. And he was showing us in Isaiah 53, all these kind of things. And, and then this particular story just ends right there. Now, if you find yourself discouraged in life, if your faith is, is weak right now, if you find yourself there later, I, I hope you find some encouragement in a story like this because here we have seen this glorious truth or that the glorious truth of Jesus' resurrection just changed these two disciples in amazing ways. Right? They are so discouraged because they're not believing that Jesus is risen. They're not believing that Jesus is all these things and, and so downcast, and yet Jesus changes their life in, in a matter of, what, an hour, a couple hours of interaction, a couple of just being taught the scriptures, and of this all being confirmed to them, everything changes. Listen, the Lord can renew your passions as well. He can renew your, your faith, strengthen it, grow it, no matter where you're at. 
That's a good thing. Be encouraged by that. Now, before we close, I I do want to clarify something for you. Our our standing before God and, and how closely we are fellowshipping with God are two different things. And sometimes we, we want to mix them together in a way that it's not supposed to be, right? If, if your faith is in Jesus, if you are trusting that his sacrifice for you, for your sin, if you're trusting in Jesus with faith that way, then your standing before God is, is set in stone or something far more stronger than stone. That does not change, cannot change, will not change. You cannot lose that. You can have the confidence of your salvation. Praise the Lord. However, your, your day-to-day life, you're, you're going to experience the, 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 the closeness of God in different ways. Your, your fellowship with God can, can fluctuate uh, in, in a couple of ways, just, just like any other relationship. You can grow distant from God or you can grow very close to God. We, we grow close to God by pursuing a relationship with God. By we spending time with Him in His Word and prayer. By, by building that relationship that He calls us into. We see this many places in the scriptures. I'll give you a couple. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. It's not that He runs from us. In John 15, Jesus commands us saying, Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. Uh, Abiding, that is clinging to to Christ, drawing near to God by faith. Are you abiding in Christ in your life? Is is that an active thing you're doing, right? Because that's a command that Jesus gives, abide in me. Or or listen to what James 4.8 says, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Jesus our Lord continues to invite us into fellowship with him. It's an open door in that sense. No no matter how messy and and doubtful you are or might be at times, no matter what particular sin has you feeling like a failure because you find yourself failing in a, a, you know, intentional fight for godliness in that area. No, No matter how apathetic you might feel at moments, Jesus always invites you into fellowship with him. There is never a moment when you want to go spend time in prayer or the word to go spend time with God and and there's never a time when he's no not now so I ask will will you commit to seeking the Lord in his word not just not just reading it either and I I make that specification because sometimes we can do I did it I read you know and nothing happened I don't feel any closer to God And, and so there's a sense of really digging into the scriptures meditating on it wanting to know God Will you pour out your heart to the Lord in in prayer? Not just meals, but time. When you you have time, when you're driving, you're walking. Just pour out your heart to Him. Will will you slow down and learn to linger in the presence of Jesus? He never grows tired of meeting with you. And I I mean this. I've spoken about it kind of in an individual mindset, but but it's more than just one-on-one with Jesus. Each Sunday, we, we preach God's word. Someone stands up here and does that. We partake in the sacrament together. We, we pray together with one voice. We pray together silently at parts in the service. One of our elders stands up and prays over the congregation and for the congregation. We, we sing songs of thoughtful lament or joyful, jubilant praise to the Lord. This is all a means of, of grace for God's people. Embrace it. Pursue it. 
Seek the Lord. Meet with the Lord in these times. There's also just great benefit to studying God's word together with people. <clears throat> Last Wednesday evening, it was cold. I, I understand why you'd want to stay home and, and just stay under a blanket. Uh, that's often how I feel on these nights. Um, and I, I find myself often surprised of just, just what a wonderful thing it is to, to get together. And we opened up to Acts 21. And, you know, not just by myself, which is a great time, but, but with a handful of guys and just dug into it. And, and to listen to the guy across the table from me as he helps me understand this passage and, and shapes how I am to live as a follower of Christ. And, and we think through these things together. It's just an incredible Blessing, and I'm, I'm sure there are so many other places you can do that, similar areas, right? Other gatherings both within the church and outside. And I, I just want you to know that, yes, we, we want to spend time alone with God. There's, there's goodness in that. But there's also great benefit in studying the word together with, with others, within the covenant community, with brothers and sisters in Christ who the Lord has blessed you with. And, and I, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. It is not my intention, you know, it's a plug because we really think it's good for you. That's why we do these things. But, you know, the Kurdos tonight. Kurdos, you're up against the Chiefs. It doesn't look good for you. But, uh, right, they're going to be digging into the book of Job tonight. Um, and next week. And the week after that. And, and so, you know, there's that opportunity. There's the men's study. This is the women's Daniel study on Tuesday morning and the, the women's study in, in Hebrews this, this Wednesday evening. There's, there's times like that. And if, if you can't make those times, they don't work for you, totally understand. Find a brother and sister in Christ. Read through a book together. Doesn't have to be forever. Let's just read through this book and see how it goes. Something like that. And, and, and finally, I, I just want to close with this. Remember this, that, that the, Lord, the Lord never grows tired of meeting with his children. God never grows tired of, of meeting with you. Seek him. Seek him out. Let's pray. Mighty God, will you renew our apathetic hearts if we have them? Uh, fill us with such a hunger and affection for your presence in our life, for fellowship with you. To teach us to pour out our hearts in prayer knowing that you never grow tired of hearing from us. Father, teach us to enjoy that. That we know that we're not just silently speaking into the void or out loud to the void, but that you hear us. To teach us to seek you in your word, knowing that and, and, and believing that you, you never grow tired of teaching us new things in your word. Or reminding us of old things in your word. And so Lord, now and forever we pray, stay with us. Stay with us. And we enjoy the fellowship you offer us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.